We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. You can also check out old, our old archived shows and, of course, ask a question via the listener inquiry button on the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com, all one word. And, of course, they will get back to you. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to see you morning, this morning. Good morning, Scott. Great to see you. Some miracles and some myths. You're going to crack through all this for us? Yeah, so many miracles, and there's so many myths out there these days, and mm-hmm. more so than ever. Um, potentially on Twitter, for example. Yeah. Okay. And what, what's shocking to maybe some of the listeners, there might have been some mistruths on Twitter of late. Um, you never get that, do you? Yeah, I thought everything few. on the internet was true. Well, mm-hmm. maybe from our uh, the President of the United States. Some, <laughs> of them, some of them may not be exactly accurate. Right. And what I'm asking here is, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of things on manufacturing jobs. And if I asked you two questions, Scott, get you on right here, I'll put you on the hot seat. Sure. Um, has, have manufacturing jobs increased or decreased in the last 30 years? I'd say decreased. Okay, you would be correct. Have manufacturing output increased or decreased? I would in the last say 30 years? increased. And that's the question mark. Even though we've lost all these jobs, uh, where's happened to them? Mm-hmm. And in fact, actually, it has increased. And you, by the way, are part of the 20, 35% uh, that got that right. Really? Yeah. Um, those both questions. Because mostly right. would assume because one's leaving that the productivity is down. Productivity is down. Yeah. And if you can look at these two charts, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's hard for your listeners, mm-hmm. you can see that on one sense, um, productivity is increasing. In fact, since 1998, so in 20 years, there's been a 40% increase in manufacturing output. Hmm. 40%, that's huge. At the exact same time, there's been 29% decrease in jobs. Yeah. So Automation. You nailed it. Technology. Absolutely. And so what we're hearing though, the rhetoric we're hearing is employers, those greedy employers are outsourcing everything um, to these high paying jobs to China or India or some semi you know, developing country and they're stealing American jobs. Hmm. That's exactly what, those are the exact quotes you're hearing. But in actual fact, <clears throat> technology is stealing the jobs. Yeah. And the US pro- is producing, I said, 40% more in the last 20 years. There's, and, and that's an additional $444 billion of output. Yeah. That's massive. And it, they're doing it with 5.1 million less people. Mm-hmm. So there has been 5.1 million less manufacturing jobs out there 100% done to technology, not 100%, sorry, mainly due to technology. But the other big factor, it's the because of the technology, the productivity of both the Canadian and the American, we're, we're similar. In fact, I, I believe the Canadian um, productivity per worker mm-hmm. is higher. But really? again, I believe our technology is slightly higher also. Mm-hmm. So, and it's gone from a $33,000 per person in the US to now $52,000 of productivity Per person. per person. So that's, a, and that's in a, a period of 30 years. So what you're finding is it's not, it, it, if they brought all these jobs, so we're going to build a new plant. And they actually did, they built this plant. It's quite interesting. They, they, ma- they made this massive plant. It took 4,500 workers of engineers and construction workers to make this massive plant. You've seen them out there. They, they're like the size of five football fields, yeah. these plants, right? At the end of the day, 200 employees are going to be working there. Hmm. 200. And you're seeing that even here in Hamilton yeah. with, you know, what it takes to make steel 
30 years ago versus what it's done yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny. I, I went on a trip in Iceland for our 30th anniversary last year. And one thing I thought, well, they can't automate this. Yeah. It was milking a cow. Okay. Wow. So the whole barn that was actually called the Cow Cafe. Hmm. And we sat above a barn having a coffee and whatever muffins and things. Mind you, the smell was still there. They didn't get rid of the <laughs> smell. Okay. It was still there. And you said muffin, right? Uh, I did say muffin. <laughs> I did. Good, good question. Maybe and, uh, I, you should have picked hmm, a different pastry. Maybe there. I got the wrong one. Anyway, <laughs> a little early in the morning for those breakfast eaters out there right now. Yes. But um, interesting. There was one human operating all these dairy cows. Yeah. They had a bottom with holes in the bottom floor, to and and a machine would periodically move all the manure through the holes mm. that would fill a truck underneath the barn. Wow. They would have um, a treat system for the cows to go through these stalls. And if they went through the stalls, they would get a treat. But they only got a treat if they needed milking. Right. Otherwise, they would continue their way on. Well, if, if they needed milking, they would put us, they'd stop it in this turnstile. And automatically through infrared rays, they would hook up to the teats and really? bingo, bango, milk the cow. <sighs> wow. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. And then as soon as it was done, opened up the gate and the next one would come. Hmm. And they did this all day long. Not one human worked in the barn at all. Amazing. And so we're seeing that. Uh, I've been on a few tours. Uh, I did a Labatt's tour not long ago. I think it was two years ago. Massive plant, bottling plant. There was no, like, there might have been five people working it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's shocking. So what you're... And now there is announcements... Um, just this past week from the Ontario government saying that uh, they're going to monitor companies uh, in regard to temporary work and mm -hmm. automation and, and put policies in place that make it uh, more difficult for companies to hire temporary workers uh, to do this sort of thing with automation. But how, what is that going to do for jobs and businesses in Ontario? Yeah, right but by yeah. the time you look at high or sorry, uh, high electricity rates, uh, minimum wage going up, well, yeah. it's just another thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just this past week I heard there, you know, and who's to say what number this is, but mm -hmm. again, they're talking about 50,000 jobs lost if they increase minimum wage. Yeah. Because yeah. when it comes to... Well, let's say that that's... I have people on both sides of the fence on that that say that that's a big, uh, you know, it's not true, it's a, it's a misnomer that they're going to lose that many jobs, mm. that it can be absorbed, but yeah, it, it's quite the debate, that's for sure. Well, you look at this, and all I know is these machines that have taken over all these manufacturing jobs yeah. don't get a pension. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they work all the time. Yeah. And there's, there's no union dues. Yeah. Okay. No healthcare costs. You know, yeah. healthcare costs, there's <laughs> yeah. no, no benefits, no vacation time. No coffee breaks. No coffee breaks. <laughs> right. And this is what, and, and, and really, at the end of the day, what's a business trying to do? They're trying to increase profits, a Be most profitable. efficient yeah. level, and increase productivity, okay? And that's what pushes the stock market. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what, who's saying what in terms of the myths, as I mentioned. It's, not a, it's, it's about productivity and the profits of a company. And that will move. It's a direct correlation. All the other things, uh, who got elected, who won the uh, Super Bowl, yeah. uh, things that, you know, they have all these different things that uh, say move the market up and down. They may have- Sell in May and go away. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> There's all sorts of great ones out there. You go to a, uh, these technical type of people and they have all these little quippets of, this is why the market's going to go down. Yeah. And the Santa Claus rally and yeah. all these different things. Um, September's the worst month. It's actually interesting. If you actually look at all the different months of the year, there is a 
slight difference. September is slightly worse than other months. Hmm. But we're not talking massive difference. Yeah. Just slight. So enough for the person to be accurate saying, yeah, September is the worst month. Mm -hmm. But they don't actually say how much worse. Yeah. We're talking like uh, a very nominal difference. Mm -hmm. And certainly not enough to want people to be out of the market. Right. And this is actually the what makes or breaks people's um, investment performance. It really comes down to what they're doing, who they're listening to, and do you have a financial planner? Huge determinant determine how wealthy you're going to be. Because left to our own devices, human nature is brutal. If yeah. we started listening to the myths, you'd honestly think, wow, you know, Ford can never make money now. Look at there's nobody working at Ford anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're all automated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or Coca-Cola or all these. Yeah, those jobs are gone. There's different jobs that the shortages mm -hmm. of. And certainly... Yeah, the workforce is certainly changing. It changes. <clears throat> um, construction work, unfortunately, with with uh, Irma going through. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly the tradespeople, and we're seeing that in general, even mm -hmm. in, in Canada, That's we need more of those. But there's a lot of other jobs we don't. So, again, the dominant determinant of really uh, the, the true life-term, real-life investment outcomes is not investment for performance. It's investment be investor behavior. Mm -hmm. That drives how well you're going to do. And it's easy to say, but we've got so much information being sent to us all the time. What's true? How does it affect things? A lot of the time, it's, it's up to Andy and I to deal with our clients and say, okay, just stay the course. You know, this last catastrophe isn't going to last forever. Right. Okay. And one, one, one person said it very well to me. It says, you know, at the end of the day, all these, it's the, you hear somebody say, well, it's different this time. That's not different. It's still ice cream. Mm -hmm. It's just a different flavor of ice cream. Yeah. Okay. And the market is based on profit. So, so clients really should be goal-focused and plan-driven. They really should be. They should be looking at what their financial goals are and planning and, and looking at the plan, the financial plan that we provide, and, and continue to monitor that plan. But what really happens is they end up being market-focused and performance-driven because mm -hmm. they're hearing things on the news or the or the or whatever media source you listen to or watch and therefore that's says oh maybe i should change this maybe and it adds seeds of doubt to your plan yeah but if you stick to the goal what's the real reason this is for my education for the kids this is for retirement planning this is to have a very tax efficient um estate plan how should we invest for that not trying to f try to worry about the markets and really at the end of the day what do you think the biggest fear of most retirees is? Running out of money? Oh, right off the tip of your tongue, Scott. Yeah, not Absolutely. My first not my first rodeo. No kidding. <laughs> that is the number one. So if, if your biggest fear is running out of money, then shouldn't you invest your money in something that safeguards the principal? Mm -hmm. No. Make sure that principal is safe. Well, if that's what you're looking at doing, you're going to be you're, you're wrong. You should be really is trying to maintain an income that rises to offset increasing living costs. Make sure your income rises with inflation every year so you don't run out of money. But if you just worry about safeguarding your principal, you will end up running out of money. Hmm. And you can see, right, 3500 a month now at 3% in, uh, inflation is like 6300 a month in 20 years. Mm -hmm. So you're say you retire at 60, by the time you're 80, you almost need not quite twice as much money. Well, that's going to run out of money really quick unless you have investments that go up with inflation. And this is where you have to have equities. Yeah. You have to have equities in your portfolio. Stop listening to 
the myths and the ratios and everything else. Make sure your financial planner is focusing on your goal and driving driving that point and creating a plan that matches that goal. So a bear market will definitely cause retirees to flee and they'll feel good about, oh, I got to sell now because the market's down. They end up just dooming a perfectly good plan. And there's, we've had a lot of good years right now. So this is part of the reason I'm bringing this up. We've had a good run in the last while. And I'm getting some inklings, well, you know, with North, North Korea, with different things that have gone on. <laughs> there's all sorts of things that could go on. At the end of the day, you would run out of money and you would hurt your financial plan if you react to those. Keep to your guns and stick to the plan. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. Check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can as well uh, ask a question via the Lister Inquiry button. And of course, check out old archives. Shows. All right, we're continuing on. Canada Pension Plan. Oh. Canada Pension Plan is an ongoing issue for so many people, as, mm-hmm. particularly as you're coming into retirement or already retired and trying to decide when should I take it, etc. And I recently met with a couple uh, last week, and um, he has. Re- they both retired, mm-hmm. and they are living the life. Cool. And we had. They determined that they they put a budget in place for the next ten years. To spend around twenty grand a year on vacations, nice. on holidays. Good. So really excited, and so he's sixty and she's fifty-eight, mm. and so they were talking about Canada Pension Plan, and she said, "Well, I'm going to take Canada Pension Plan at sixty because I'm I want to spend spend now while we can." Yeah. And he said, "Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm, I maybe we should take it. Maybe we shouldn't take it. We'll have to think about. We'll have to look at this a little bit further." And um, so I, as I started to do a bit of research on this, and it's an ongoing, and, and literally it is unique for everybody's situation, yeah. but there are some generalities. And one thing I came across, which kind of jumped out at me, is why women should delay Canada Pension Plan. Hmm. Why women should delay getting Canada Pension Plan. And when, when looking at that as a sort of general rule, the main things that jump out are Living longer. Yeah, that's what I thought. Number one. Yeah. Number two, women statistically have lower pension income. Mm. And number three, they are the more likely to become widowed. Right. And be on their own down yeah. the road. And so then we started thinking about, well, what's the math around taking your Canada pension plan early, taking it late? And so just a quick scenario to sort of paint the picture. If you're a woman age 65 and you've decided you're going to take Canada Pension Plan, you would be entitled, let's say you're entitled to $10,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So $833 a month. You're going to get $10,000 a year. But if you wait till age 70, five more years, you get a 42% increase mm. in your Canada Pension Plan. So instead of getting $10,000, you would be getting $14,200 a year. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you think about it, that you're going to have to forego income for that five years. Five years. But typically, if you've got RSP, if you had RSP money and you could draw out $14,200 a year, you would need about seventy one grand. just assuming mm-hmm. no growth, but 71000 in your RSP, you could take out 14200 a year, 
your RSPs would be done, now you're 70, and your Canada Pension Plan kicks in. Mm -hmm. So that might be one option. But you're thinking about, you know, is this a good thing to do? Should I do it? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about why and the, the sort of mental things we go through in terms of trying to decide, should I start it now or start it later? And some of them are just emotional decisions as well. Right. But I think the purpose is that, you know, you get to increase your financial security mm -hmm. and you're increasing your financial security because you're getting that Canada pension plan, which is guaranteed for life. And that's what increases your financial security. You're also obviously increasing your dollar amount because you're getting a higher percentage payout and then that's indexed as well. Yeah. The problem is, is that few people are doing it. Very few people right now, when we actually look at the stats from Canada Pension Plan, mm -hmm. are actually waiting to age 70 to do it. Hmm. And and the the main reason is or even sixty five for that matter yeah they're, yeah they're trying to grab it at yeah. sixty mm -hmm. right instead it's almost like they there's a feeling that well I may never live long enough yeah. to get my share of this yeah. even though every stat yeah. in the book says otherwise yeah. yeah and that's what we call we sort of categorize that into the gambling mentality ah. and the gambling mentality is that well. I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to gamble that I'm not going to live long enough. And universally, universally, we all underestimate how long we're going to live. Hmm. And I didn't really think about that or believe it necessarily because I've, from a planning perspective, we're used to looking out over a long yeah. time period and assuming people are going to live till 90. Yeah. And even for my own plan, I'm assuming age 100, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to make, does this work based on age 100? But that's your financial planner thinking, it not is. your emotion. It is. So when the gambling mentality comes into play, we think that we're gambling by waiting and deferring because if we don't live long enough, yeah. then we're not going to get as much as we could if we started right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the reality is, let's take an example where um, we'll take Mary. And if Mary lived to age 75, she would uh, be better off to have started her Canada pension plan at age 65, right? right? So the quick math is from 65 to 75, she was going to get $10,000 a year. So over that 10 years, she gets $100,000. If she started it at age 70, she gets 14,200, but only for five years, she dies at 75, right. she gets 71,000. So mm -hmm. a difference of 29,000 that she lost out on right. by deferring to age 70. Right. Uh, and so the reality is, is that, you know, for most women, our, our chief, the Canada's chief actuary has determined that Mary at age 65 will live 22 years. Mm -hmm. That is the average, 22 years and versus 84 for a male. So it's about three years longer than a male. Right. So first of all, we know statistically from Canada's chief actuary that she's got about 22 years that she's going to be receiving the money. So we go back to the mental gamble, that mental gamble, you know, am I really going to live that long? And again, in, in my own practice and Dawn, as, as we've grown with our clients, as we've aged with our clients, mm -hmm. I, it's it's just an ongoing joke when we sit down and we look at their financial plan and universally, everybody, well, of course, because they are alive, but they always <laughs> say to me, I lived a lot. I, I can't believe I'm still alive. Yeah. I come back a year later or, and we're doing a review of where they are. I can't believe I'm still alive. I didn't think I'd live this long. But I guess you never say that. 
I've I'm never su- said I'm that. surprised you're still alive, too. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm guessing, not something you have with your client. Right. And, and there's also this peer pressure thing, too. I think <clears throat> when people are getting at age 60, the ones that are taking it earlier and taking a 30% decrease versus yes. taking it at 65, it's almost like they're flaunting, oh, I got it at 60. And, you know, it's great. I get in this money every month. And, yeah. you know, you should get it at 62. Right, and right. And there seems to be this peer pressure. You might not live friends. long. Yeah, you, might yeah, not you live never long know. Yep. Could die tomorrow. I'm going to I'm going to die early and probably yeah. you too. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and honestly, this is happening all the time. And so it's almost re-engineering their, our clients' thinking. Yeah. And what are, the, what are the chances of this actually happening? And as you mentioned, it's pretty slim you're going to die early. I know. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a 60, if you're a listener today right now and you're 65 years old and, you, and we asked you the question, how long are you going to live? I'll probably guarantee you'll underestimate how long you're going to live. Interesting. And uh, so if we, if we go back to our mental gamble, and really the mental gamble is, am I going to live long enough to make this math work for me? And I'm going to redo, let's create the new math based on our Canada's chief actuary. And let's say Mary does live the 22 years, mm-hmm. right? So at 65, she would get 22 years at $10,000 a year. So she would get $220,000 from 65 to 87. If she starts at 70, she gets 14,200, but only for 17 years, five years less, works out to 241,400, a difference of about $21,000 more. And then every year after that, of course, is an ongoing bonus. That's, we're just talking about assuming people spent it and there was no inflation, just keeping the math simple. Well, when you actually then think about what is the rate of return that I'm getting on my money? How much would I have earned on that money if it's working for me? And it, what it basically comes down to is about a 6% return. So by deferring, you're making about 6% on your money, which is a pretty good return right. overall. Guaranteed. Right. And it's guaranteed. Right. So that part of the math is very straightforward that you're, you're from a financial standpoint, you can actually make off quite well by mm-hmm. deferring. Uh, and but you do have to to live long enough, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where that mental gamble comes back here's into the play. Other th- here's the other thing too: is that money going to be more valuable to you at sixty five or at eighty? Well, that was the point about the young, the couple that I saw this week talking about Canada Pension Plan. We we want to spend twenty thousand a yeah, year yeah. on our vacations right now. We need that. We're going to take that money. Where is it going to come from? Mm-hmm. And this is where the the decision about you know should I tap into RSPs and then defer Canada Pension Plan all come into play. Yeah. And when you think about today's, the three financial risks that people have in terms of their retirement, number one is poor returns and particularly poor returns that we call often call it the sequence of returns. So if you get poor returns early on in your retirement, you end up eroding more of your capital than anticipated. Number two is high inflation. And inflation is something that, you know, again, we've been lulled into an expectation of low inflation, but high inflation can eat away very quickly at the, at the value and the purchasing power you have. And number three is living longer and the greatest fear, which Don talked about, which is running out of money, right? Where am I? I don't want to have to go Mm -hmm. back to my kids to help me fund the rest of my retirement. Mm -hmm. Independence is is a big fear. Um, Nobody wants to go back, as you said, go back to the kids and the feeling that they can look after themselves. It's really hard to have, you know, 
hat in hand and have to go back to your kids. Yeah, especially if they're living in the basement. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's almost like your kids are getting that. back at you. <laughs> well, you know why? You sent me to the basement when I was, when I was a teenager. It's your turn. So it's your turn. <laughs> no, it's your turn. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so if we're thinking about Mary's scenario, you know, between starting Canada Pension Plan at 65 versus 70, and we then relate it to those three risks, poor returns, high inflation, and living longer, and dealing with the first one, poor returns. Well, now her RSP plan really only needs, that piece only needs to last five years. Mm -hmm. She's going to take five withdrawals of 14200 out of it. So she can take a less riskier portfolio. Mm -hmm. she, can, she can really zero in or minimize her risk, and that's going to reduce her stress as well. Mm -hmm. Number two, high inflation. Inflation of 2%. 2% inflation, which is right now exactly kind of where we are, yeah. your purchasing power is going to be cut in half, cut in half after 25 years. Now, if you have CPP income, it's all indexed and protected against inflation. Yeah. So think about that, right? So now you've eliminated the inflation risk. Mm. Number three is living longer, running out of money. Obviously, you know, as you begin to see, as people begin to see their money eroding, they tend to cut back on their lifestyle, cut it back, cut it back, yeah. cut it back so that we're not going to outlive our money. If you're getting CPP, it's payable for life, payable for life. So we've addressed this sort of thought process addresses those three main things where we can avoid poor returns. Uh, we can, and the risk associated with that. High inflation is looked after because the pension will be indexed. And finally, living longer is dealt with because it's going to carry on for life. Right. And so in dealing with women specifically, uh, and again, I'm generalizing, but women tend to be more risk averse. Mm -hmm. So they don't like to take on a lot of uh, risk in their portfolio. And as Don was talking about earlier, if you're, if you're minimizing and you're just taking very conservative investments because that's your comfort level, that inflation is going to really quickly erode away your purchasing power and your mm. ability to maintain your lifestyle. And really, it increases your chance of running out of money. Yeah. Which so, is kind of the opposite that they're thinking. That's I'm right. I'm safe, so I won't run out of money, but it actually works the opposite. Mm. I'm going to be safe, and it will guarantee almost that I could run out of money. And it really what it does is it, it, it's boosting that secure income for life. And that's really what, you, you know, it, at this stage, and particularly if you're a widow or could be widowed, uh, having that secure income for the remainder of your life mm -hmm. is a really valuable piece to your financial puzzle. And I guess the other thing is that once you, if you've spent that RSP money and it's gone, the stress of managing money and actually making investment decisions yeah. on an ongoing basis More pressure. is eliminated, yeah. right? Now you just have a regular check coming yeah. in every month and you know there's another one next month. Yeah. So Pressure's having to eliminated. deal with the yeah. stress and the pressure around managing your savings is eliminated as well. Uh, so this is sort of the, the thought process around the uh, Canada Pension Plan. It's a very, very uh, unique to each individual in terms of what makes the most what's the best decision in terms of your Canada pension plan, when to take it. So it's important to talk to a qualified financial planner, get a, an opinion about an overall plan in terms of how it would fit in and the pros and cons to you taking it. There are some scenarios where it doesn't make sense. And we'll reiterate those too. And this is, and this has jumped out at us recently too, with the changes to Canada pension plan. If you're eligible for guaranteed income supplement, 
And that threshold is about $17,000 a year. So if you're making $17,000 a year or less, you're going to be eligible for guaranteed income supplement, which is an additional payment on top of your old age security. And if you get more Canada pension plan by deferring it, you're going to get less guaranteed income supplement. Right. So the government has didn't really think about all the, the ins and outs of this when they changed the rules to Canada Pension Plan. But the reality is, is that those low-income earners are going to be putting more into Canada Pension Plan under the new rules. They're going to be getting more from Canada Pension Plan later on, but they're going to be getting less from guaranteed income supplement. Mm-hmm. So they'll actually end up no further ahead, right. or in some cases, they'll be, they, won't, they won't qualify for GIS. And in fact, the, uh, the analysis by the actuaries are saying there's about 230,000 sure. Canadians will no longer qualify for guaranteed income supplement because of the changes to Canada Pension Plan. Mm. And finally, I guess the other one would be is in terms of your health. If you have, um, if you have particularly health issues and concerns, if you've had, uh, uh, you know, issues around potential longevity, that that's going to be an issue as well. And again, in the couple that I saw this week, uh, the husband's mother and father, he's 60, they're both dead. Mm. The, the, the wife who's 58, her father's 92. Wow. Going strong. She said he had cancer and then he beat it and it's like he has nothing left. Wow. It's, it's all clear. She is going full tilt at 88. So wow. mom, living yeah. in their own home, mm, still awesome. doing well. Yeah. So maybe longevity is in her genes. She may be the one who should defer to age 70 instead of wanting to get it at 60 just to go on vacation. Mm. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. You can also ask a question and listen to old archive shows on the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here. They're from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them, leave a message now at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Taking a vacation, not only is it, uh, well, is it is it good for your health? Is it good for your finances? Well, we're going to talk about that right now, actually. And it's kind of interesting. Canadians have this worldwide reputation of being a nation of workaholics. Yeah. And Scott, do you ever leave any vacations on the table? Like I days? used to all the time. Hmm, okay. I yeah, was ten years. I was ten years in the industry before I took a real vacation that wasn't related to work. Right. I'd gone. To, I'd gone away on things that were related to work, but never uh, taken a vacation. And finally, my boss pulled me aside and said, "You got to change this." And then, as soon as I did. I, I, I rented my cousin's cottage and then the next year bought my own and I have, <laughs> and I have never left a day on the table since. <laughs> but how many people accumulate them though? Know, and suddenly yeah. I've got, oh, I've got 40 weeks of vacation exactly. that I haven't taken if yeah. I was allowed to accumulate them. Perfect point. What do you think the average Canadian leaves on the table? A I'd year? S- a year. Wow. I'd so say a at week. least a week, yeah. Uh, you're, a little, you're a little optimistic. It's three biz- three days. Three days on There's the table. That's a long average, weekend. Come there on. <laughs> on average, three unused vacation days on the table every year, according to Expedia. But most companies now don't let you carry them over. So That's exactly. right. even with that, there's people like leaving three days pay. Yeah. You're basically leaving three days pay, giving it a, giving away to somebody. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, and it represents 31 million unused vacations days in 2016. Hmm. 31 million days left. <laughs> wow. 
I just like a few. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say. Yeah, yeah, throw a few. <laughs> Give this me a way, couple you know? hundred thousand. And people right, right now are yelling at the radio. Are you kidding me, Thompson? You haven't been on the air all all summer. Ah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. And that cottage has been just having a great time. But yeah. research shows that um, not taking holidays can actually be bad for your health. Yeah. And it found in uh, Journal of American Medicine found that men who take frequent annual vacations were 32% less likely to die from heart disease hmm. as people that never take a vacation. 32%. Yeah. That's a massive difference. Huge. Third. Another study, it was discovered that women who took a vacation once every six years were less than eight times more likely to get a coronary heart attack than, or having a heart attack than women that took at least two vacations a year. Hmm. So taking one every six years, huge difference in health. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And a lack of vacations can also increase, and this is a no-brainer, stress, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's showing that people are definitely way better off taking some vacation yeah. days. They come back very fresh, and literally their life depends on it. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. a 33% difference, or, or in a women's case, for once every six years. I thought that was a little excessive. What women, mm -hmm. or what women's going to take, or men for that matter, I'll wait six years for my next vacation. No, that's okay? a much. But I guess there is people, and mm -hmm. they had them in the study, and they're eight times more likely to get a heart attack than mm. the ones that took normal vacations. Unfortunately, many people would rather stay at work, mainly because it's a bit of a hassle. Yeah. Oh, finally. Well, they say, yeah, that you take up as much time or spend mm. as much time preparing for a vacation as you do taking it, right? Right. And and you got to really plan early. So this has to be, you know, as you know, I'd actually think this is more important than getting a yearly physical. Mm. Like if you're going to have all these heart or problems, yeah, okay, you're going to yeah. end up going to see a doctor anyway. Yeah. You might as well take a vacation because you're going to be taking the time off later, mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound nearly as fun. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Watching that little TV set in yeah. the hospital room. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. So plan early. Schedule your, schedule your holidays for the next, say, six to 12 months in advance. It's great when you do that, too, because it gives you something to look forward That's to. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Block it right in the calendar. Yeah. As opposed to waiting until you burn out and then trying to look for something. I'm so stressed out, yeah. and, my, and my shrink says I need to take a vacation. Exactly. Right? I got to go. <laughs> and stick to it. You know, just stick. When it, once it's there, it's kind of funny. When you write in the calendar, if all of a sudden, if you had to, and you say, okay, I got to visit my daughter or my mother, and it's a week I have to take off. You wouldn't think twice because you're doing it for somebody else. Mm. But when you're doing it for yourself, you don't. It just doesn't seem as important. Mm. But health would say otherwise. Yeah. Your health de really depends on this. So never expect to find this perfect time to take a vacation. Mm. It just doesn't happen. Things are too busy at the office. Too many people in your own little world depend on you. Mm -hmm. But don't think that for a second that you're not replaceable. Okay, that's true. In fact, don't be afraid to delegate. Uh, many people are worried that they're going to be, you know, burdening their colleagues. And they did a research on the U.S. and it showed that people that took fewer than 10 of their vacation days per year had a 34% likelihood of receiving a pay raise in the next three years. So that's pretty good. So what that means is I'm going to leave some on the table, I'll work harder, and I'll get a, a good chance to get promoted. Hmm. Well, interesting enough, they took a study and said people that took more than their 10 days of vacation days had a 65% chance of receiving a raise or a bonus. So by taking the vacations, they actually got a higher pay. Hmm. And perhaps because when they came back, they're refreshed. Yeah, uh, not fried, not for not a fried, more productive, yeah. better attitude, handled stress better. Mm -hmm. um, even though there's always this idea that you, you just can't, you know, 
Joe, I got to put the burden on him. I'll do it. And we're all kind of martyrs. I'm going to just work my way through this. Well, cost is often a factor too, but just because you're taking a vacation doesn't mean it has to cost a lot of money. No, no, there's lots of things. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Canada's known for camping. Yeah, exactly. Okay, there, yeah. That's lots a, to see and do here. You know, there's lots, especially in the summertime, mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the summers. This uh, this summer hasn't been as much for right. camping, but hey, this September's looking pretty good. Which is why we're all flying south this winter, Don. <laughs> <laughs> do we have money for that? Absolutely, Scott. <laughs> because what you've done, Scott, is you paid yourself first. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Not and, nearly enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where a pre-authorized check, having a certain amount coming out of your bank account for vacations, for RSPs, for kids' education, have it part of your plan. And I know, Scott, we've talked about this over the many years, and vacation planning is part of your lifestyle, as is making sure you have a, a proper retirement, and you can marry the two together. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. A warning for couples who split but no divorce. Yeah, this is something that seems to be recurring that in terms of I'm running into this from time to time. How many times last year, honestly? (laughs) Like this is definitely more common these days. Yeah. Why, Why the fence sitting? I, yeah, that's well. That part I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a financial. That part planner. I have no idea. I'm a financial planner, but not a marriage the, counselor. But the phenomenon is that a couple uh, decides to separate, mm-hmm. and they're living in separate locations. Their lives are carrying on separately, but they never go through with a divorce. They never properly or formally divorce. And I think what the what the issues around this are, I mean, there's obviously a psychological issues, emotional issues, and everything else, but it seems like a final cut when you make the divorce, there's no doubt about it. But I think that the from a financial standpoint, many people are misguided thinking that that separation will result in a bunch of legal changes. You know, we're separated. So or it I, will cost the money as opposed to not doing that's the paperwork. Right. So it means, you know, that change, my will will change, my estate plan changes, power of attorneys change, beneficiaries designations change. But just separating, it, it means none of that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So 100% wrong thinking that all mm-hmm. of that stuff's going to change just because you've separated. It does change immediately upon divorce. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time that... Your will, for example, will change immediately. It becomes null and void on a, on a divorce. So the, the challenge then is getting people to understand if you don't divorce, then you need to be critically uh, critical about changing the documents that you have, all of those special documents, and that's really where the potential danger is. When someone dies, it, you may end up all of your assets and many of the things going to your former spouse, right? right? Your right. separated spouse, as opposed to a new spouse or your children, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so, that's where the, that's where they get, you know, I think the biggest concern comes what from. What if you want that? 
Is that the most efficient way to do it? Uh, if you want, well, typically in a blended family scenario, you do have scenarios where people do want money to go to both families, right? right? They may want um, money to go to their new spouse. They want money to go to their uh, their children from their previous spouse. And they may want money to go to their former spouse, maybe to help look after the children or, mm-hmm. or something along that line too. But, but not too often. But not too often. No, I no, haven't heard that too not often. Too often. But, but it's almost uh, like you need an interim will. Yeah. So if the, the divorce is the final thing that changes, then you need a will That's between, right. okay, I've separated. Right. Let's get a will done until the divorce happens. Well, right. I think what people think is I can't do a will until the divorce ah, happens. Yeah. That's probably That's... where part of them meant, well, until we finalize everything, I can't do a divorce, I can't make these changes, or I don't need to make these changes. And that's the further, further from the truth, right? You need to update the beneficiary information on your life insurance policies. There's a situation we were talking about at uh, from head office where our state department was talking with uh, the, the, the executors where the, the husband died after 20 years of being separated but never divorced, putting money paying money into a life insurance policy for 20 years and the beneficiary was the former spouse and yeah. they hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Wow, my. And so, There's but never windfall. changed it, but never changed yeah. it. Uh, so definitely you do not have to wait until the divorce is finalized to be able to change and update all of these documents. So that means changing the beneficiaries on life insurance policies. That means changing your power of attorney. That means changing your will, updating your will. It means changing the uh, pension beneficiaries for your, uh, at work. It means changing the beneficiaries of your RRSPs and RIFs, et cetera. TFSAs. And TFSAs. And so a simple thing to do then, if you can change your will, if you change your will right away after a separation, you could make all of your beneficiaries then your estate. Mm-hmm. So the ben- your pensions, your life insurance, and your, I mean, that's not a perfect scenario, but it's a simple scenario because then your will, you can specify who's getting what and it makes it easier. I mean, we're, and the problem is we see very many, there's something too complicated in terms of the wills and, and wills can end up being complicated because people end up with uh, wanting to give, say, assets to one person person, one family member, and a different asset to another family member. Mm-hmm. They, change in val- <clears throat> they change in value over time, and suddenly somebody got more money or less money than somebody else. Uh, again, dealing with blended families, uh, dealing with um, a child or an adult child who has a disability, and making sure that trust provisions are put into place for that. Uh, you know, and, and I think dealing with a lawyer today, you want to find someone who is a TEP, Tom Edward Peter. It stands for Trust and Estate Practitioner. That means they specialize in dealing and creating wills, mm-hmm. and that is their main focus from an estate planning perspective That's as well. TEP. TEP. Right. A Trust and Estate Practitioner, and so that then you're going to know you you have a properly drafted will. Uh, and I was actually talking to somebody about who didn't have one, and they said, "Oh, well, how much will it cost?" And I said, "Oh, about four hundred to six hundred dollars or more, depending on how complicated it is." And they said, well, you know what? That seems like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They said, but, you know, don't forget, that's for two of you too. So yeah. it really isn't a lot of money at the end of the day. 
And actually, the couple that I was talking about earlier who was spending 20 grand a year mm. on vacations, they had a big vacation this year to Australia. Mm. And a week before their vacation, the mother-in-law sent a notice about a terrorist attack in oh, Sydney. No. Oh, they were out the next day and got new wills and power of attorneys done because, of course, we're all going to die oh, on yeah. vacation. That's It's wild. I did the same thing. I started <laughs> updating my will before vacation. 80% of wills are done before vacation. That's, isn't that funny? Yeah. Uh, seminar, you want to plug this? Yes, absolutely. October 12th, we're getting a seminar. Or it's a, how to create a retirement paycheck. Right. And that is uh, Thursday, October 12th. October, so we got a month. Mm-hmm. Just putting it out there right now. Sure. We're just nailing down the times at 10 o'clock, and 12, and 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock um, are the two times at the Royal um, Hamilton Yacht Club. Beauty. Okay. And also at 7 to 9 p.m. at the Best Western Premier Sea Hotel. So one's in the morning. One's in the evening. All right. And the date on that again is? is October 12th, 12th, creating your retirement paycheck. And of course, if you want to re- reserve your spot, you can call them at 905-529-7165. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Don't forget to check out the website as well at andyanddon.com to find out more about the seminar. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks Scott.